Welcome to Responding to Life, a podcast hosted by me, Josephine Atlery. Do you ever feel like you could use some guidance when life throws you a curveball? By listening to the narratives in this podcast, you will learn from other people's experiences and responses to challenging situations so you can fast track the learning curve to get ahead in your own life. Thank you for joining me for episode two. Today, with the help of my dear friend, Sada Toussaint, we are going to explore how our upbringing, our past, can color the way in which we proceed with life and decisions. When we are faced with major choices in life, it can be very important to understand the reasons for why we want to choose one path over the other. Going with your gut and making instinctive, spur-of-the-moment decisions may work for mundane issues, However, big life-changing decisions related to school, work, relationships need a little bit of introspection on one's part to ensure you are choosing something for reasons that make sense for you. Making sure that choices align with who you are, your intentions, and the vision that you have for your future self. Hello, everyone. I'm here with my really good friend, Sarah Toussaint, and we've known each other since college. Uh, we both attended the University of Chicago, and we were part of a Hispanic group, and that's where we met. Sada, if you could take a moment to introduce yourself to everyone, uh, I'd love for them to hear all about you. Hi. Uh, thanks, Josephine. Yeah, so I'm Sarah Toussaint. Um, by day, I'm a sports marketer for for a major brand here in the U.S. Um, essentially, what that means as a as sports marketer is um, I align our brand with a sports team or a league or a player to create marketing programs um, to build an affinity with an audience, and hopefully they become uh, fans of, of ours as well. And so that's, that's my day job. It's a lot of fun, um, uh, a lot of details in terms of uh, you know, creative aspects, social media copy, things like that, um, advertising, um, hosting uh, customers at, at events. Uh, but when I'm not doing that, uh, I'm on the board of a couple of nonprofits, one including the University of Chicago, which is the same where we met. Uh, another one is uh, called Play Like a Girl, which is a nonprofit that focuses on uh, making sure girls have opportunities to play in sports because we see a very strong correlation with girls who play in sports being leaders um, and rising uh, as far up as the uh, C-level executive suite at major corporations. So uh, that's an uh, organization that's really near and dear to my heart. And then um, the last one I'm on is a, is a local art museum where we provide them some suggestions on how to raise money, artists to take a look at, uh, programs that we think that the community needs. So that's, that's kind of me, uh, in a, in a nutshell. You're a busy lady and you do some fantastic things. So that's why I wanted to have you share about that because I adore you and I think you do such marvelous yeah. stuff. So I wanted to remind our reader, our listeners where we left off in the first episode, I had shared some stories about when I first found out about M's illness and how we walked into that battle with both of our heads held up high. And so now uh, I wanted to just talk with my friend Sada about where we went from there. And so she's going to ask uh, some questions, especially because we, 
you know, after college, we kind of dropped off from one another. And then we reconnected again back when I was planning your wedding. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. I, you know, those, as soon as we, you know, we all graduated, I I moved away um, and it's like real life hit. Right. And so all the fun that we had in college and the, the, the social activities we did and the cultural organizations and events that we did weren't, you know, weren't kind of on our calendar anymore. And, and the distance definitely um, was hard. And this was before we had, um, well, how about this? This is before I had a cell phone handy. It took me a couple of years to get one, but yeah, you know, Josephine, I, I definitely, you know, I, I knew, um, you know, through our mutual friends a little bit about what you're doing um, after college, but how, you know, what were you up to? How was, you know, how was that, you know, those, I guess, five years after college for you all. Right. So after, after um, M successfully beat his illness, we then, a year later, we got married and we were still living in Chicago. We were both consulting. Then he got accepted into business school out in Boston. <clears throat> and then I took that opportunity to finally follow my dream of attending cooking school. And so I applied and got accepted to the Culinary Institute over in New York. So for a year and a half, we uh, we commuted on the well, I commuted on the weekends up to see him in in Boston, and then from there we you know we did a lot of what um, you and your husband like to do, which back then we were traveling a lot with um, with like his class and just separately and you know we after that experience of his illness I had mentioned in the other episode that we had a different perspective on life and we were able to really savor each moment because we didn't know if we would have another one and so you know after a few years of doing that probably about five years we then decided that it was time for us to create that family that we had always dreamed about. And it seemed like good timing and we were in a great place for it. We were in Boston. So there were a lot of wonderful options for, um, for us to pursue in terms of medical treatment. And that is where that's when we decided to start IVF. We knew that we'd have to pursue alternative options of creating our family because of his illness. And so we, um, we knew that adoption would be on our horizon. And then we knew we'd have to do um, in vitro fertilization or IVF. And so we picked one of the big hospitals in Boston and we started working with them um, just by doing testing. And after we were all cleared with that, then we were able to start the process. How, you know, just be knowing what I know about you, right? It's, it's, you've got this great balance of, you know, learning as much as you can and then like making a decision and going, going through with it. So I could see you really doing your homework on this topic. Um, did you just jump right in? I, I have to say, I'm not entirely, you know, I've got a general sense of IVF, but I would imagine just knowing, you know, you as a classmate, you as a, as a professional, especially when you're playing my wedding, every detail did not go unnoticed. So, you know, can you share a little bit more about, you know, what that entailed? Yeah, absolutely. And you're so sweet for saying all those things. Actually, this uh, was one of the things that I did want to talk about further on, but I'll talk about it now in that I was really naive back then because I thought that a big teaching hospital would be enough. I didn't do as much research into like the best facilities 
as I should have, like by going onto the CDC and checking success rates and reading reviews. And so we didn't really do that. We went with, there are a couple, as you know, because you lived out in Boston when your husband was training, um, there are a few hospitals out there that are phenomenal. And so we chose one of them just by, by their name. <clears throat> and we knew that we'd have to do IVF. So it wasn't really, you know, a lot of people go into um, assisted reproductive therapy or ART having to start at the very bottom and then work their way up because uh, doctors want you to have as little um, intervention as possible to try and get you to conceive as naturally as possible without as much um, medication and assistance. But for us, we knew we had to go straight to IVF. So that kind of took out a lot of research that we had to do about different medications or different methods that we could pursue. We only had the the option of IVF. And so that is, you know, looking back at it, I would definitely recommend um, doing your research. And, you know, further out, we ended up switching facilities. And that's what I did then. I looked up their success rates of places that were just like in the whole country, but also where we were living. And that that says something about the facility and, and the labs and stuff like that. Um, but then also visiting if you can, because each place, as I learned the hard way, just the feel is so different. But it was a learning process for sure. Yeah. I was, I was going to say, I mean, this was now, gosh, this is 2000 and... 2004 is when we started. Four. Yeah. Right. I mean, and that's, it feels, I'm sure it feels like yesterday, right? But that was, you know, 16 years ago, right? And, and how accessible was the information to even, to even know where to look, right? Because um, when you say, oh, you know, you, you didn't do as much homework as you thought, I, I, I can't believe that. So I'm going to assume <laughs> that maybe there was not as much information um, as there is today about this process. That's true. I mean, I don't remember myself going back, back then, like going onto WebMD and seeing what disease I was dying of that day. So. Right. I mean, <laughs> I didn't right. know that I could go look up on the CDC website and and get that information, you know. So times yeah. have changed, yeah, yeah definitely. And and in terms of again, I you know what I know about IVF is that it is expensive and there's hormones involved. But I, I mean, I think that that's you know historically people or women have not talked too much about it. Um, so I think it's really cool that you are sharing your experiences to date. But how, I mean, how involved was it? Is it something that, I mean, obviously mentally you're thinking about it every day, but, you know, what, I, I guess, you know, if you were had to, a to-do to to list about IVF, like what are the things that you would have to check off once you decided on your facility? Um, and obviously you had, you knew you were doing IVF right away or, or kind of straight away um, without those other options that you mentioned, but, you know, what kind of to-do list did you have to kind of go through to make sure that you were doing everything you could to, to you know, give yourself the best chances to um, have a baby? Right. So, you know, all of these facilities are great about giving you, um, once you start with them, just this massive binder of all the stuff that you have to follow. And in the beginning, it's all testing. You just, you're just constantly there, um, just making sure that you're healthy enough to start the whole process. So they do a complete um, health background check on both you and your partner. 
And then once you're cleared on that, then they start you or they regulate your cycle using medication so that they can make sure that they have you under control for when um, hormonally for when they're about to actually start the process and and can time everything because this is all this all has to be timed out. Um, and so, you know, the other things that you can do while you're in that process would be things that you can control yourself, which would be in terms of nutrition and exercise and mental mm-hmm. health. Uh, one of the facilities actually that we ended up using at the very end of our journey uh, even had us doing acupuncture because that was oh, wow. something to help us relax. They had us do it even right before we transferred the, the embryos in. Um, just to get your your body and your mind in a relaxed state because this whole process is sort of so nerve-wracking and um, you have no control over it. I mean, aside from those things that I mentioned that you just do anyway in your regular life, but everything else is out of your control. And so it can be super stressful, um, especially as you mentioned, then you're doing all the hormones, you're injecting all these hormones and taking patches. So emotionally, you're just like a roller coaster. And um, Mm. for women, if you can imagine just being on your cycle, just that being amped up. So, um, and and then there's the whole factor of there's just so much pressure and there's so much riding on this one, like this one attempt that it's, um, it's a lot. So uh, I don't know if like that, that's kind of the gist of it. Every cycle is different because all the medicines are different and when they check you is different, but that's generally what happens. You have a big check medically, then they start you on hormones to regulate you. And then you actually start the process and you're doing injections. And then you, um, then they are trying to, what they're trying to do is stimulate the production of eggs. And then all the ones that they can harvest, they'll remove. And um, after they do that, then they'll put it together with the sperm and after either three or five days, that's when hopefully you'll have some embryos that formed that are of really good quality. They pick the best ones, usually one or two, and then they'll implant that. And But I mean, over the years, this whole process has completely um, changed. Like before they were okay with putting in two, and now they're, they really prefer putting one. But, you know, I mean, every facility is different, and it's all dependent on the actual patient. But that's the, the IVF process in a nutshell. Yeah, that's a lot. There's a lot to digest. Um, like a lot, a lot. So, you know, given, given, you know, what the steps that were entailed and you, you know, you still want to continue that. You said, okay, I, I want to do IVF despite, you know, potential challenges. And why did you continue to still pursue that, that, that path? So, IVF? yeah, no, someone, I mean, that actually is a very common question that I get when I'm speaking to people about this journey of ours. And the question is, why? Why did you want to have so many children? In fact, the nurse, when we first started this process, as she's doing all the, the like the medical overview and giving me that big binder, she asked me that same question. Um, why do you want to have a big family? And, you know, as I, I was thinking about it after I had left that office uh, for that very first appointment, and to me, it's, it goes back to uh, my upbringing and um, just my childhood. So my, you know, it's just me and my younger brother of three, he's three years younger than me. But when we were growing up, we lived in this duplex uh, with my mom's 
extended family. And so we lived on the second floor in Chicago in this brownstone. And then on the other floor were my grandmothers. And my mom has, um, she has seven sisters and two brothers. And about half of them lived in that apartment with my grandmother because they had all just come from the Philippines. And I remember growing up from like the tiniest when I was super small. And most of this is just looking back at pictures. But I remember the feeling that I had when I was there every day, which was just this feeling of joy. And and it was chaotic, but it was there was just so much energy. <laughs> I mean, if you can imagine, there were like, <clears throat> excuse me, there were about 15 of us at any given moment in that small apartment in Chicago. And um, my, you know, my aunts and uncles were much younger then. And so they treated me like their little doll. So they would teach me all their disco steps and they'd have me singing next to their <laughs> organ, all these 70s songs. And they would um, dress me up as a doll I, and put makeup on me. I mean, it was just... <laughs> It was always so much fun to me. And then, and then there was the cooking. So there was, there was like dancing and music, but then there was all this cooking that just happened all the time. And to this day, I just, when they came for Thanksgiving, cause we hosted this year, they took over my whole kitchen and I was so happy. I just like, <laughs> I felt at home for me, that's home. And <clears throat> so when I think back on, on that, like that brought me happiness. And whenever we would go back to our apartment upstairs, it would be so quiet and it would feel, I don't know, it didn't feel right to me. So knowing in my future, even before I met M, I knew that I wanted a big family just because I loved that feeling. And then, you know, when we got together um, prior to his illness, you know, he also, he grew up with a lot of cousins. He has two older brothers and he also came sort of from that same environment um, so we both were on the same page about wanting this bigger family. And that is despite what the, like the challenges of at the time IVF were going to, um, present us with it, it didn't matter because we knew that we wanted to just have these little ones in our lives to, to have this big sort of, um, household filled with so much energy and love. So that is what fueled that that Josephine, desire. This this explains so much. I didn't realize that you were in a duplex. Yeah, um, yeah, on the north side. Of I Chicago. did not. Know. And I always, I whenever I visited your dorm on campus, I always would think, "Wow, this is so homey!" Like this, and you were always so good about hosting all of us. There's always people coming to the 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 dorm that you shared. Um, I think you had three other roommates and you had a two bedroom there. So that was probably maybe spacious compared to the duplex. But this explains so much and how and why you love hosting. I know. Um, I and think... the event planning, right? I mean, it made yes, total sense. Yes. Like I always wanted to just throw these big parties for other people so that they could experience that same feeling. And that incorporated my love of food and my love of music and dancing. I mean, it was just, it was perfect. That whole event planning thing I did. <laughs> It's, it's coming together. I just, I can't, I did not realize. And I, I think that, that I, well, thank you for sharing that. I'm, I'm embarrassed to say I never, never asked, well, how many were you? I should have known better, really, you know? Because um, there were seven of us in a one, in a two-bedroom apartment as well, but I had the opposite effect. And I just didn't want to be with everybody else. Well, that's true, right. <laughs> Host and cook. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it could take you either way. But but I guess my point in, in the story and sharing the story was it really shapes, <clears throat> it shapes whatever you take out of it, shapes how you want to live your life in the future, I think. It does. So, yeah. Oh, my God. My goodness. Well, I know, um, and, and I think, you know, between that and... Um, you know, I'm getting sick. I think you, you, you realize like what's important in the present moment. Right. And for you, it's, I think it's always been that sense of family and community. Um, although I didn't realize the extent, like again, how big your family was um, when you were growing up, but you know, and I think you have such an appreciation for being present. And I know, you know, that's taking you to um, meditation. And so it's curious about, you know, how those moments that you have, um, cause I think you're one of those people that just, is always just deeply grateful. You know, you show a lot of gratitude. How, you know, how did, did you know, these types of, um, you know, thought process uh, guide you in your journey to, to these decisions? Because you've, you've done a lot, you know, um, in terms of the, number, the, you know, how, you know, you've created your family. Um, you know, right. can you share a little bit more about, yeah, about yeah. that? No, that's an excellent question. Um, and so, for me, like I said, that was always in my gut, I, especially when I was younger. A lot of things just I felt and then I, I rolled with it and that's how it played out. But with the gift of time and age and all this reading of like different books and now becoming a meditation teacher, all of this stuff, uh, I have the benefit of looking at it from from a different perspective. And I think it's important to have when you're making a major decision, things related to family and work and um, career and relationships, that you take a moment to really dig deep inside to evaluate where, you know, where you see yourself, what your vision is for yourself, what your values are for yourself, um, so that when you make your decision, it's really authentic and it's true to who you are and not necessarily to what maybe your partner wants or what your family wants or what your children want or your boss, that you're really speaking to what's deep down inside. And like I said, you know, what we were talking about before, a lot of it can be shaped from your upbringing, your background story, um, whether or not you realize it. And so it, it takes a lot of moments of introspection and evaluation on your part to to make these bigger decisions. And as a meditation teacher, what I like to advise people to do is to just sit in silence and, and to be present so that they can really tune in to that voice inside of themselves. A lot of times that voice gets masked by a couple things. One of them being fear, fear of like, if you make this decision, can you actually go through with it? Um, or are you even worthy of it? And then another factor oh. into uh, not being able to tune into this voice is just the the busyness of life. There's just so much stuff that we're going through that, you know, we're going from deadline to deadline, meeting to meeting, that we don't have time to squeeze in five minutes to just sit in silence and ponder like this big decision that we have looming in the back of our minds. But I find that if you can even just start by taking in deep breaths so you can slow down, maybe you can then eventually 
put those breaths together for a few minutes and really just sit still to hear what's what's happening inside. And it doesn't mean that you're sitting there just like grilling yourself as if you're in an interview or something. You're just sitting there and you'd be surprised if you're just breathing, then you're connected to the present moment and to yourself. And then all of a sudden, maybe organically, something will pop up and even like visually or maybe words in your mind of like, you know what, this is, this is what I want to do with this major decision that I have to make. Um, but it's really all about taking that time to be present with yourself is what is how I have now started to, to do when I'm approaching bigger life decisions. If that answers your question. Just you saying those words, sorry. Um, as you were saying, you know, take a breath here or two and linking out. I was doing it as you were saying it. I'm like, oh yeah, there's a little bit of weight, you know, a little bit of weight off uh, off my shoulders. But I, I, I really just like that. Even like the no pressure, like while you're meditating, right, is helpful to hear. Um, right. You know, so so you know all you know all this kind of said, like you know, would you do it over again? Oh, absolutely. I think I know the answer. Yeah, but... no, no, no. That's, <laughs> I, but that would be my answer to anything. I'm not one of those people that is into. Um, I regretted this and I wish I could have done that because I like to walk away with something happened there and I learned from it. Like my last job, you know what? It was really crappy and some moments and overall how I walked away from it. But, but now because of it, I'm able to do all this stuff for this, for this podcast, like all the marketing stuff and all of this. And so, you know what? Those three years, I got something out of it. And so with the IVF, Sure. It took us 13 years to build our family of five. And there were some really deep lows where I was depressed and all this stuff. But I have the five. And so I wouldn't I wouldn't change it. I love it so much. I love your family. I love being at your home. It's we so... love having you. You have to come back. <laughs> I just, it just feels good being there, being surrounded by by everyone. You know, it's just a good, good place. Oh, everyone adores you. And then, and then, you know, we can go and we can sit and breathe. And I can take you to all the different wellness places like I did last time in L.A. And you can come and, like, unwind because you're a busy lady. Sign me up. <laughs> it, was, it was wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Um, and what's wild is, you know, you've got such a busy life. You've got five children. You've got you know, husband, you've got your parents there, but you find those moments for yourself and like you, you are managing as, as challenging as it is. And by no means do you ever say this is easy. You make it work. Um, you can't see me, but I am raising my hands up to you. Oh, I adore you. Thanks so much for doing this. <laughs> You're a sweetheart. Uh, I want to, you know, even when I'm doing like networking events or whatever, I always want to give something, get something, give back. And you mentioned to the audience how you are part of a few organizations. So I wanted to encourage the listeners to look up the organization I Play Like a Girl. And the website is iplaylikeagirl.org. And if um, the organization resonates with you to make a donation or if there's an, any other ask, Sada, that you want um, to throw out into the universe, I invite you to do so now. Yes, uh, don't, donations always uh, help, but I'd say take a look at the website and 
you know, just spread the word about what the mission is. And I think the awareness is always very, very helpful. Thank you. Yeah, no, absolutely. I love the organization. And um, especially having a daughter, Melina, just loves that you're a part of that, you know? Mm, Yeah. All right, busy lady. I know that you have another meeting to go to. So I really appreciate you taking the time. And I encourage you to try this breathing technique because I know you're bouncing around from (laughs) one place to the other. So give it a shot and let me know how it goes. Okay. Oh, will do. Thank Thank you you. again. All right. I love you. Love you too. Bye. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to my second podcast episode. I truly feel it to be part of my purpose in life to share these stories and the wisdom that came out of these life experiences with all of you. Our lives are such a beautiful gift. The precious nature of this gift requires us to handle it with such care and grace. Use your responses to life to guide you towards a journey of meaning and joy. Make it a journey that is fully aligned with your authentic self and values, while remembering it is an ever-evolving process. When handled in this manner, life will begin to unfold for you in a marvelous way. Be sure to tune in to the next episode, where I will be interviewing my very first guest, an accomplished swimmer and boxer who not only faced death when he went into cardiac arrest at the age of 18, then battled depression, binge eating, and bulimia, but he is now in the fight of his life, battling stage 3B lymphoma at the age of 28. Despite all of these obstacles in life, his warrior mindset helps him live a life of positivity, presence, and gratitude, even during the darkest of times. Thank you for listening to Responding to Life, a podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and would like to receive a bi-monthly newsletter with an exclusive and free video meditation, along with wellness tips and deals, please go to www.respondingtolifepodcast.com and sign up for the newsletter by entering your email address in the pop-up box. In there, you'll also learn my seven-step process on how to meditate like a pro so you can stress less and live more joyfully. If you enjoyed the show, I invite you to share it with your friends and leave a rating and review on whatever podcast outlet you use. I look forward to sharing another inspirational story with you real soon.